You're listening to the Townsville Chamber cast. Essential information, ideas and news that matters to the business community of Townsville. Last year, we heard about the snake that swallowed the wombat. Who knows what we'll hear about this year? Join us as Ross sits down with Housing Industry Association Chief Economist Tim Reardon as they discuss the opportunities and the challenges facing the construction industry from a HIA perspective. Welcome, Ross and Tim. Thanks, Claire, and, and thanks, Tim. And uh, look, just before we start the uh, the podcast, special mention just out to uh, the HIA team here in Townsville, Peter Fry, their um, executive director, and of course their uh, North Queensland president, Peter Cavallo. Tim, I know you've been a uh, big trip around this beautiful big country of ours again. You joined us here in Townsville last month. Mate, it was all about the snake that swallowed the wombat last year. Um, is that still going on, mate? What's going on? Well, look, it does look like uh, the industry has swallowed uh, another wombat after that first wombat. So, yes, last year we were talking about uh, the enormous volume of homes that had been uh, were under construction, had been sold. And what we were expecting was that the market would slow down as home builder eked away. We were expecting the number of home sales and number of commencements to slow down, but that didn't transpire. In fact, the number of homes that we sold in the first five months of this year were roughly equal to the same number of homes that we sold the year before when home builder was operating so there is an extraordinarily strong level of demand for new homes and there are lots of reasons that certainly low interest rates strong economy low unemployment um, but uh, the other factor which appears to be driving demand for homes is simply that during COVID that shock uh, has seen people consume more homes they're working from home more they uh, therefore need a, a work from home space they're moving to uh, out of apartments to detach they're moving out of cities to regional areas all of which is just saying people consume more homes yeah i I'm, i think i had it as a point down after your um your talk when you were up here i i found it fascinating your way that you describe people as actually using their homes now too like the because you know it, it's it's one thing to talk about new houses being built we know when people talk about the the, the rental availability is a shortage of below a percent here in townsville at the moment um but you would think that if you're building all these new homes then then that wouldn't be as big an issue but it was really interesting your insight into the way that people are working from home so maybe using that extra bedroom yep. the the kids aren't yeah so fill us in a little bit about that mate so it's not just an Australian story, it's happened globally and what we're seeing at the moment, this is an extraordinary level of demand for homes is transpiring across uh, all developed economies, US, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, Norway, Japan, all seeing uh, similar uh, outcomes and you know, uh, j- just uh, you, the more time people spend at home, the more they want to make that environment nice, the more they're changing that to suit a change in the way that they're using homes. But also I think that we did see an acceleration in the rate of which people are not necessarily retiring but planning for their retirement, which is some of the drive from um, particularly Melbourne into North Queensland. The other dynamic which is, is difficult to measure is that we do know also that uh, young kids that typically would leave school and move to Brisbane for education and employment opportunities haven't done so for two years. And that's helped backfill uh, the loss of migration nationally and in areas such as Townsville and has kept those economies uh, quite strong. 
And the other component in talking about how people have changed their usage of their homes is when we look at renovation activity. And the value of renovation work going on nationally at the moment and in Queensland is around 15 years ahead of where we were expecting it to be. And it appears that not only did people, or as people stopped travelling, they spent more on home renovations as well. And even now, as they're starting to travel again, they have enough money in their mortgage offset accounts. People are quite wise in the way in which they manage their, their home loans, unlike many of the stories you read. We do have the average household now with tens of thousands of dollars in their mortgage offset account ahead of where they were, and they're planning on spending that on improving the quality of their home. Yeah, we'll touch a little bit about interest rates because I think it's a it's a very good point you raise, especially with the equity that people have got in their homes now as well, just over the last couple of years. But we'll we'll probably sort of touch a little bit on that later in the podcast. But mate, new government, uh, we're a few weeks in now. Um, you didn't seem too concerned about the changes there. There's just it, it, there's still lots to go, lots to run. Mm. So from a macro perspective, certainly yeah, the, the big issues are around government spending and interest rates and uh, the challenges that are no different from this government is for what they were for the last. I know that there's certainly, as I travel around the country, a lot of concern that uh, new environmental policies may uh, impede economic growth in Australia. I'm less concerned by that. I spent five years working for the electricity generators and um, you know, they're, they're, they're a hot topic at the moment. But yeah, what, what are you doing after this podcast, mate? Let's, let's talk about electricity generators rather than houses goodness gracious certainly <laughs> how's and so, your phone been going <laughs> yes well look we, we knew at the time when the carbon price was being repealed they were very much of the view that this is this is worse for the generation industry than the introduction of the carbon price was its repeal because they lost that certainty to invest into electricity generation right. what an amazing thought that certainty would create yes. investment and a pipeline of i yeah, I've done multiple presentations on this, particularly to um, overseas delegations. And, you know, when you remove certainty out of a marketplace, it does That's right. odd things. Yeah, so they, the generators can manage market risk. They can invest, uh, manage investment risk. What they can't manage is regulatory risk. And government's change of policy and change of mind is something that they're not able to manage. And so until they have certainty there, they won't be reinvesting. And the... the uh, I lost my train of thought there. Where, how do we get onto electricity generation? I was heading down a whole other path. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, I'll bring it back to... Um... Oh, sorry, climate change policy. Yeah. So, um, so an incoming government is still faced with those challenges around climate change policy, but there is a lot of climate change policies underway in Australia, and uh, we are, have done a significant amount to abate emissions over past decades. And so I think there's mostly a change in narrative there needs to happen. But the key issue is will this incoming government be better at attracting foreign investment than what the previous government was? And there's certainly the opportunity there for more interventionist industry policies now on the other side of COVID. We've seen the just-in-time management system fail. We're seeing all the supply chain disruptions flowing through at the moment. And businesses around the world are looking to make things in more places other than just China. And Australia has a unique opportunity there if we are able to provide a stable energy network. We have a strong public health system we have a strong training and education system. We have an intelligent workforce. We can certainly attract that investment if there is the right platform there. And I think that there is as much opportunity as risk in, in the new incoming government as, as what we do with any government. And we will have to wait to see how that plays out. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I know a lot's written about these things and a lot, but 
you know, the reality is they've they've changed all the way along. So, you know, you have a look at it, you look at opportunities and then you move forward. And um, I know when we had um, some uh, some big banking executives up here not just recently, you know, they were on the rise over, you know, we don't particularly advocate. We just tell government what if they do something that this might go wrong. So you should think about that. <laughs> that might be a, a good approach. And I think it's always a, a sound approach. But, mate, um, when your presentation, I always like how you sort of break it up a little bit. And, you, you know, you started off with, I guess, some of the bad news that's going through the economy. I guess we've sort of touched on that a little bit. But, mate... What are you seeing as the big issues? I mean, I know you touched on labour, but there was a couple of interesting things there around land in particular. And, and, yeah, and so build, builders are facing a, a pretty tough year this year, um, an acute shortage of land, labour and materials, uh, the three key issues. Officially, the cost of building a home increased to 15.4% in 2021. Uh, unofficially, we're still to see all of those costs flow through. I think that when we get to the end of this cycle, we'll look back and see that March was the point at which the cost of building was increasing fastest. And I suspect, we, I'm hopeful, that we're seeing the rate of growth slow. That doesn't mean that the cost of building is falling. It simply means that over the next year, we expect that the rate of growth of, of cost of building will probably be slower than this last year, making it the second fastest rate of increase in the cost of building a home. But uh, you know, the, 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 there's a long list of reasons for that. And certainly who would have thought that we'd be at this point in the cycle or two years without migration and be seeing a situation where there are 4% unemployment and acute labour shortages across the economy. And with that enormous volume of building work coming through, the building industry is going to keep soaking up all of those workers, at least for the next 12 months, maybe 12 months after that as well. And that global constraint on supply and the global building boom means that all building products are under tight supply but it's more likely that building activity in 2023 will be constrained by the availability of land more so than those other two commodities which means that we do expect next year to be the year of the knockdown rebuild those people that already own a block of land are the ones that are likely to be continuing to to build through that next cycle owning a block of land probably also gives them a little bit of protection from rising interest rates as well and uh yeah that that land supply story is one that you know we've been arguing it for, for 20 years and now we've got a situation where the federal government have recognised that and we will start to see that uh, pass through to, to state governments and eventually to local councils. And that's not just about greenfields, not about new residential suburbs, it is also about increasing density uh, in cities, particularly medium level density uh, for places such as Townsville and North Queensland. High density in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane is certainly something that's been encouraged over the past 10 years and we've probably broken that cycle. But medium density in particular appears to be a problem and one that is uh, presents a lot of opportunities to address the acute shortage of rental accommodation that we have at the moment. I was going to say, is, is this actually an opportunity for a place like Townsville, like, like North Queensland? It is certainly. Um, now the, the, the medium density stock... Um, and uh, the employment opportunities and growth that are there you would suggest that the city is at a point where that medium density should be picking up. They do tend to go in cycles and part of that is that uh, when there is only old medium density stock, uh, the price cycle tends to slow. It's not then until you see a body of new medium density stock come on at a higher price that you start to see uh, reported price growth coming through in official data, which then attracts investors to continue that cycle. So it, it, investment in medium density does tend to be quite lumpy. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, one of the other interesting before we get on to the good news, but you also talked about uh, finance getting a little bit tighter. Um, mm. Not so much the interest, but but approvals. Yeah, so certainly in this cycle, we've seen it just eking in from the start of this year, which during COVID, uh, the Reserve Bank and the federal government did everything they could to assist banks to lend money. Businesses found it very tough uh, and they, uh, banks and the government came to the party and assisted households and businesses to borrow to, to keep their keep economic activity going. What we've seen this year is banks just starting to pull that back a little bit, not, not problematically, but back to levels of lending that we would have seen pre-COVID. And the way we see that in the market is with first home buyers being forced out. So first home buyers are our canary in the coal mine. They are the most sensitive to just the increase in interest rates, but also tightening of access to finance. And we have seen a, a little bit of a slowdown from first home buyers. And increasingly, as this year progresses, we're seeing more of that. They're also likely being forced out by rising house prices and uh, the cost of building. But uh, that, that return to more normal levels of access to finance is, is one of the constraints that's coming into the market at the moment. Yeah, and I, I guess that's the, um, I mean, we all know that's really what slows things up. I mean, if, if that, that gets harder for people and, oh, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, you know, I won't change my behaviour, I won't make that, that first initial step. Because once you're going and you're into it, people, I guess, are a little bit more used to that. But, yeah, the confidence goes out of it a little bit. So, yeah, I... I, I Really, sort of honed in on that when you were you were talking yeah. to it. So confidence is really important for uh, home purchasing decisions. Due to the size of the decision, people tend to not make that when their uh, employment is uncertain. Uh, certainly, we see new home sales fall away quite sharply during election campaigns for no particular reason. They do return immediately afterwards, but for some reason, uh, consumer confidence takes a hit during election cycles and people avoid buying homes. Is it because just everyone goes away? Uh, no, I'm just joking. They, they stop concentrating and go camping or something like that. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> stop reading the newspaper and move on to important things. <laughs> no, very important part of our dem democracy. I love it. Hey, mate, so the good news, economy's powering, really, isn't it? It's strong. It is. Um, and from a home building perspective, yes, population growth is important, wage growth is important, but the one that's just super important is employment. And people, while ever they're employed, will be able to cope with rising interest rates uh, and, and talk that you hear the panic porn that gets peddled from time to time of uh, financial risk uh, very much overplayed. Australia has an incredibly conservative banking and lending system. And while ever that unemployment number remains at 4%, people continue to service their mortgage. Certainly house price growth isn't going to be as strong as what we've seen over the recent years and, and certainly let's hope we do see house prices ease a little nationally. We've seen um, extraordinary growth over recent years but that in itself is not cause for alarm or concern and while ever we've got that, that unemployment rate at 4%, um, the, the, the factors that are going to bring that to an end, uh, you know, interest rates which I have mentioned but we, we revert to our risks remain those factors that can't be foreseen. Um, not unlike the pandemic that arrived on our doorstep in, in 2020. And so it, it's impossible to, or I'll go with, we're at a very strong position to be able to withstand those shocks when they occur again. Despite the level of debt that we have now acquired, Australia is still relatively low in terms of debt to GDP ratios. Yeah, I, I remember you, we had an offline conversation about that and you were very quick to point out, you know, a couple of interest rate rises. But, but you know, even if you were maxed out 
and you and you borrowed eighty percent or something on your new home three years ago to to build it or to buy it just to and effectively now you've got at least forty percent equity, maybe even fifty percent, just because of the capital growth you've received in the last three years. So and it, probably it, having paid a little bit more off than you expected because interest rates fell and wage offset, growth has been yeah, there. Yeah, as kept, long as you kept your job through COVID, then those households are, are reasonably well cashed up. And we also have to keep in mind that over the past two years, most people that were taking out a new loan were borrowing less than 50%. Yeah. Now, it's only a very small segment of the market that borrow to their limit. And they are only a, a very small percentage numbers of, of those that hold mortgages. And I know we did a um, you know a little bit of thing on the interest rate rise up here, and particularly for a place like Townsville. The fact is that you know twenty percent of our stock here is actually owned outright. Thirty two percent have a mortgage, but but the reality is most of those people have either fixed or are being offsetting it anyway. Um, mm. And you know the the rental squeeze, the forty two percent of properties that are actually owned by investors or rented. You know, to a certain extent, their lease has got to come up or something's got to happen uh-huh. before that. So it's going to take a little while for that to um, to filter through. So the, the doomsdaying, I guess, is um, um, is maybe a little bit over-exaggerated just at this early point. And, and I know even the RBA on the weekend was talking about how they're not seeing the effect they wanted. Um, so they're going to go harder, which anyway, that's a whole different um, conversation. But... With this rental squeeze, I mean, do you see that's going to transpire into, you know, a, a bit more longer time frame for these new builds? Like, you're going to build mm. homes at the end of the day to, to, to ease these pressures. Yeah, certainly. So what we've seen through COVID is the length of time to build a home has increased from around about eight months to 12 months, and that's because of the labour and materials constraints. And that's a real problem for, for builders trading through because it puts them under cash flow pressure. The second concern from a builder's perspective is that um, uh, given the speed and the length of build time, uh, the number of contracts they may have signed 12 months ago that are still ongoing where they are making a loss on those projects, that's that's a new dynamic that you know, builders typically don't build homes for less money than what it costs them to to build Um, but that's certainly something that's happening at the moment and as quick as we can get through this volume of work we have and get build times back down to six to eight months uh, that will certainly take the pressure off them from a cash flow perspective and get to a situation where this rapid increase in building materials is not so onerous on builders on the other side of that equation we have to recognize that it has been a very good year or two for some contractors and certainly suppliers at the moment are doing very well um, through this cycle. We've seen 20 years where the cost of building uh, increased at a rate significantly slower than CPI and now we find ourselves in a situation where there is a lot of catch-up occurring and for most building products there is a close substitute um, in terms of uh, alternative use but all the, you know, the level of demand that we're seeing at the moment is absorbing all of those substitute products as well and from you know, most building products were also trade exposed. So global prices have increased. We can see on the US, Canada, New Zealand timber prices are somewhere between 200 and 500% higher than what they were pre-COVID. And at some stage, those price shocks come through to us. So about between 15 and 30% of uh, timber that we import for framing in Australia is imported. And so whilst we're only exposed to that on on the margin, it does have upward pressure on, on the cost of building materials across the board for us as well. Yeah, and one of the um, the little interesting snippets, one of the slides you put up there was, um, you know, just going on to this demand side of things was... Mm-hmm. 
we haven't seen that migration. You know, we haven't seen international mm. migration. And I know last year when you talked about they move to Sydney, they buy a unit, they live there for a few years, they have a couple of kids, they buy the detached house, they move out, and that's the cycle. And there was, I guess, a lack of that backfilling, and that was a big concern for that yep. those bigger markets. But, mate, you said that – I love the analysis. How many times Google <laughs> records people wanting to rent or buy in Australia? I thought that was a really interesting little analogy you gave there. Yeah, you got a little yeah, bit yeah. so what, what we've seen is the number of people looking to buy and rent a house in Australia – and importantly, they are Googling it from an ISP that's overseas. You, so you num- think, you think. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so the, the, the best evidence is, is that they, those people overseas looking to move to Australia are back to pre-COVID levels. And it happened almost immediately. And that is a surprise. Um, I did expect a, a much stronger lead time and, and perhaps the, the return won't be as strong as, as we're anticipating. But all of the metrics that we're getting, all of the leading indicators suggest that that migration is coming back quite strongly. And from my trip through North Queensland, certainly the, the backpackers appear to be coming back very quickly. They do seem to be present again. And uh, there's clearly a lot of employment opportunities there for them. Oh, yeah, we still need... I mean, uh, I just did a little thing on it last week and we were looking at, you know, actually approval ratings. So there's interesting, like, yes, demand's come back, people are trying to do it, but the actual approvals of visas, uh, there's a bit of a lag there at the moment. So yes. definitely some um, some feedback there. Administrative problems, yes. Skill yeah, shortages across the board, including yeah, visa processing. Yeah, yeah, another one of those. Oh, we just had an election. Um, we <laughs> took... Yeah, we couldn't do anything for eight weeks, apparently. So... But, mate, the... Um, in interest rates, I know it's dotted through this podcast, um, mm. but when you actually talk, you know, interest rates, the inflation game that we're all trying to play, like we saw the minimum minimum wage rise last week, you've got independent bodies doing independent things and, and, and people still seem to be um, uh, buying and consuming. Um, what's your sort of, what's your take on that and, and moving forward? Well, I think that the Reserve Bank have two options. They can either go hard, go early, which means increasing interest rates really quickly to cause this home building boom to stall, and then they would stimulate the home building economy again by lowering interest rates. And I think that's a very unlikely option. And they've never pursued that approach before. They've been very staid and conservative, and I suspect we'll see something similar this time around. But if we go back to the last time we saw rates rising, which was 2010, uh, it took six months from the first increase in interest rates to when we saw that have an impact on housing starts. In this cycle, given that amount of work that we've got in the pipeline, it's going to take at least 12 months. So there is a risk that as as the strength of the building industry at the moment obscures the impact of rising interest rates that the Reserve Bank could go too far. But then when we we look at it from the other side, there's there's really only two causes of inflation, and that's governments printing too much money and governments spending too much money. And certainly that's happened domestically over the past two years and globally over the past two years. And every Reserve Bank around the world at the moment is doing just as the RBA is doing. And we are seeing consumer confidence fall away. United States has seen two rate increases and in, in new home sales have fallen 10%. Uh, new Zealand's seen four increases in interest rates and finance there has fallen 20%. So we can see that it is having quite a quick impact, um, albeit in some of the leading indicators. And so uh, I, I do expect certainly interest rates to be significantly higher in 12 months' time than what they are at the moment. But I don't think that in itself is going to cause the economy to stall. The Reserve Bank is looking for, for an easing in the 
that uh, skills demand front and rising interest rates will certainly deliver that. But the important thing for us over the course of the next three to five years is that the government and the Reserve Bank are moving hand in hand, which is as the Reserve Bank is trying to slow the economy by increasing interest rates, what we don't want to see is a, another round of spending trying to stimulate it. You know, that's where the economy got into trouble 2000 and, uh, sorry, 1988 through to 1991, where we had high interest rates and stimulatory measures coming from the budget side of things. And we saw the post-GFC, we saw a very different cycle there where the two went hand in hand, and I suspect that we're going to see something similar in this cycle as well. So, yes, I'm much more optimistic than those that are talking about recession. I woke up this morning to a news uh, headline saying that a recession in Australia is not inevitable, and I will say a recession in Australia is very unlikely, while ever we have such strong demand for our exports. Yeah. No, well, that's... um, And, look, the, the human psyche and the confidence and all of that plays unbelievable like you know they (laughs) if we still go out and buy things and pay too much to go out for different like you know that that's that's the craziness of it all when we look at these things that you know you you can do as much as you can but but then you know if people act or do think differently it's very hard to uh you know the, the data doesn't keep up but anyway people still seem to be confident and still you know i know up here multiple industries they've just got that much work on they just um you know they but you know we all know that changes over uh over time but mate, one of the big things in your game the insolvency story um yes. and this was one that um you know was probably highlighted pretty early um but you know people did take on a lot of work what what are you actually seeing that because i know you sort of talked about two very different sections in this and i think once again like the media only grab certain components of it and can look really bad if you do that but you had some interesting data on that as well yeah so certainly insolvencies in the industry at the moment are 28 percent lower now than what they were pre-covid now that's not to say that there isn't a problem there's certainly builders at the moment are finding it very challenging and other parts of, of the market as i mentioned the suppliers and the subcontractors are or all labor providers i could say are, are, are having a very good year. But from most builders' perspectives, they've been through cycles, maybe not as sharp as this, uh, but the housing market is very cyclical and almost all of them have traded through this cycle before and will trade through this one as well. And I think when we look at the, the location and size of businesses, so on the size first, small builders that build, say, five to ten homes a year, they didn't increase their production through COVID. They're limited by in, in their staff to the number of homes that they can build and they'll trade through this with some with a couple of bumps along the way the volume builders likewise will also trade through this they're big businesses they know how this is going to to work the ones the businesses that are going to find it challenging are the ones that tried to significantly increase the size of their business during this two years those that saw demand pick up and thought it was because of their advertising or the quality of their product or word of mouth and doubled the size of their business they're the ones that are going to find things tough um, from a regional perspective, I think that uh, Western Australia is probably seeing the worst of, of what's playing out at the moment, given that uh, they had some additional constraints on labour and materials there as well. And Victoria, uh, likewise, given the strength of their market, despite the population 
loss as seeing a tough run. From a North Queensland perspective, the the limited capacity of the market to grow, meaning that there are only so many builders and so many workers and no capacity to draw workers in from the rest of the country, I think is going to see builders in Queensland travel through this cycle better than most other regions. Well, that's... um. Yeah, that, that's interesting about the West, because I know when I spoke to you on the phone that you, you were actually over there and, and doing a couple of your presentations. That's very interesting about, you know, because when borders were closed, people were saying, oh, you haven't thought about this, you haven't thought about that. But now this is all coming back to, to roost in a, in a certain extent because, you know, colleagues of ours that were over there, the, the frustrations were were yes. quite restrained when it was on. But, um, you know, these are the, the, the cyclical effects that come later. Yeah, and, and you know, the labour demands there, they're certainly uh, advertising internationally. They've been advertising for workers on the East Coast, uh, struggling to get workers domestically, um, and a return of migration will, will certainly attract workers to Perth. Uh, the higher wages uh, that are available there are certainly one of the appeals. Um, you know, the only good news you can say is that over the last two years, they haven't lost workers to the East Coast as they were previously, which is... Um, uh, a backhanded compliment, but they faced you know, the, uh, some some additional problems, which is uh, storm damage there as well, and the loss of the rail line across the Nullarbor um, due to damage to the line caused uh, or compounded all of the problems. And essentially, the, the material shortage problem was worse the further you are from Sydney or Melbourne, which means that North Queensland got uh, certainly some of the worst of that material shortages, uh, probably not as much of the labour shortage as what uh, we've observed in Western Australia. Yeah, okay. Oh, it's amazing how things play out, I guess. (laughs) It's been a fun couple of years. Most definitely. Now, mate, uh, one of the other ones, I've got a couple to go. I, I find your presentations really good, so I always come up with heaps of questions about it. A couple, One of the other ones that really sort of blew your mind a little bit, foreign investment falls, house prices go up. Yes, yes. I've never understood how people think the opposite, but what we've seen over the past four years is the number of foreign investors in the market have fallen by around about... 50% and the value of house prices increased by about 30% and we've seen this acute shortage of rental accommodation. To me, I, I can't fathom the alternative. And certainly, uh, yeah, well, if we look at from a foreign investor's perspective, they have to buy new homes and they don't live in them. So they are possibly our perfect solution to this affordability constraint, particularly if we can attract them into medium density housing or, or high rise, that uh, they can we can see uh, an, an increase in investment. Because the, the problem with the rental shortage is, is a lack of investment, not too much investment. The problem is that, that shortage of investment, not enough homes being built. In this cycle, of course, um, it isn't additional demand that the industry needs. Um, it is the capacity to increase supply. So hopefully over the course of the next couple of years, We'll see those punitive restrictions that have been imposed on foreign investors ease and we will see them come back into the market and we'll see that particularly apartment stock, which they typically invest in, uh, continue to grow and uh, ensure that there's enough homes for the people that live in Australia. So are they accepting, just so I can get my head around it, are they accepting a lower return than, say, a domestic investor would? Or, 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 or why? For example, in Sydney, yeah. the, the typical buyer will pay around about $25,000 in stamp duty, but a foreign investor will pay $90,000 in stamp duty. Yeah, but, but taxation to one side, I mean, very good for government, but yep. um, the market functioning, I mean, so to, in order to build the building, the developer's got to sell 100, 
um, and and the foreign investor comes in, said project's off the ground, great, we've got rental stock. That's the the theory. But why isn't the domestic market buying those? Why why is the foreign investor are they taking a less return or? or well, the, uh, just an additional investor in the market. So they, those that are investing in Australia are typically investing in multiple countries at the same time, whether it's Canada, United States, Japan. The structure in Australia is different from other economies. We are very dependent on mum and dad investors in Australia, more so than any other market that I've, I've come across. Close to 100% of homes that are invested in Australia are mum and dad investors, whereas if you look at France, which is the other extreme, close to 100% of those homes, uh, rental homes in, in France are from corporate investors. And so there's been a lot of talk in the, in the market over the past few years about what's known as build to rent. And it's certainly an opportunity for investors, whether they're superannuation companies or, or large investors, to build apartment complexes specifically for the purpose of renting them out. Now, there's, there's certainly an opportunity in the Australian market to grow that, uh, that in, investment in that side of the market. The challenge is, is ensuring that uh, the incentives are, are equal across all investor categories. So not advantaging or disadvantaging mum and dad investors in whatever arrangements are introduced to attract investors into those build-to-rent projects is the challenge. Mm. Yeah, no, interesting little uh, merry-go-round. But, mate, I, I look, I always love catching up having a chat to you and I Indeed. really appreciate your time is there anything you want to leave us on on a on a Townsville I know you gave us a couple of good things for Townsville on that last year but I mean you know it's it's it is funny when we even look at the macro level stuff at the moment it's all aligning you know the skill shortages is everywhere you know the rental problem is every like so it we, we really are all on the same ship in a moment to a certain extent yeah. but have you got any little special gems for us mate? Well, I think really for Townsville, uh, you know, Townsville holds the Holy Trinity, um, a large hospital, a military base and a university, and they do ensure that those regions go through these cycles in a far smoother fashion than regions that don't have those three functions. There's, there's really only a few places in the country, uh, Newcastle, Wagga Wagga are two that come to mind, but there's not many places outside of that that have that that benefit and if that is the bottom of the cycle then the medium and longer term outlooks for Townsville are very strong. Yeah and now weather's heaps better too. <laughs> it is one of the reasons I enjoy going to North Queensland in March. <laughs> Sorry in May. Mate you should you should give up here now. I, 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 I'm, I'm ready saying... to go this work from home thing. Uh, there's there's a little spot that they uh, card well I believe uh, we stop in for a sandwich. I think I could uh, I could pick up stumps and move there. And, and you know this is my plug because more people listen to our podcast outside of towns than here ironically. I don't know. Go figure people must be sick of me up here but mate I was up in a, a regional city town near here, Ingham, the other week. Yep. Three bedroom, two bathroom home, five acres. You can be fishing for barramundi uh, in about 20 minutes. Uh, you know, all the beautiful little country town, agricultural sector and everything like that. 395,000. Um, I've got Go a fishing, there's come two, back home, be at work by nine o'clock. It's perfect, isn't it? You know, there's 2,100 2, homes for sale in Townsville at the moment. And people are moving here because there's that much work. Um, yep. So, you know, I, I, you know, if you if you're down there in one of those cold places, working from home, trying to trying to put up with all your neighbours, time to come up here on a holiday. Come up for the uh, the music festivals and everything. Get naffers on at the moment. Come up, say good day, and uh, I'm sure you'll never go home. <laughs> I'll send you a photo of uh, skiing this coming weekend. <laughs> no, my brother-in-law's already done that. Thanks very much. I uh, I got those last week, and it, I tell you what, it looked good too. 
Yeah, look, it's a, it's a rare season, they tell us. Uh, we've got the, yeah a, a lot of snow and a lot of sunny weather. Fantastic, mate. Well, enjoy it. Please awesome. send, send me a photo and... Uh, yeah, you you'll get me on the skiing front every time, mate. I'm a I'm a fish out of water in North Queensland, loving <laughs> snow. I tell you. So talk to you soon, Ross. Good on you. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Townsville Chambercast. Remember to subscribe so you're the first to know when new episodes are released. The Townsville Chamber of Commerce would like to acknowledge our corporate partners, James Cook University. 106.3 Star FM, External IT and NQAV for their continued support.